So we are in a series now on the Apostles' Creed. If you've been in the church the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at this ancient statement of belief that the Reformed Church, the Evangelical Church, the Roman Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church all say, yeah, listen, we, we believe this. This is what we believe as Christians. And what we are calling this series is Bite Size Unbelievable. So we're looking at little questions that we feel are, are, are quite relevant to where we are in society today, and then helping you think through how you articulate this to friends and family. So the idea is, it's a little bit theological, a little bit practical. Buckle your seatbelts, you ready? Yeah? Good. If you've got a Bible, every time I bend over, it's because it's in my hip pocket, I'll try not to bend over much. Okay, there we go. Uh, if you've got a Bible, grab it. There's one around you somewhere. Uh, the words will be on the screen as well. Turn with me to John chapter 14. This is Jesus talking to his friends just before he goes to the cross. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And you know the way to the place where I am going. And his friends are all thinking, but Thomas is the only brave one. How many of you know it's always good to ask questions? There's all the people thinking the same thing. It's okay. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered these famous words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And again, everyone's going, what? And Philip this time, he's the brave one. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. What a cool question. Show us God. Let us see God. And Jesus looked at Philip, and he said, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, Listen to these words. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Isn't that powerful? And then I want to throw up some words from the Apostles' Creed. Go to the next slide, Jim, for me. There we go. So the Apostles' Creed starts, I believe in God the Father, the Creator. And then it goes on to, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended to the dead, and on the third day, He rose again, and He ascended into heaven. This is what every expression of the Christian church believes around the world for the past 1,600 years and more. And today, this is what we believe about Jesus Christ. Let's pray for a second, then we're going to get into this. 
Holy Spirit, come amongst us. Open our minds. Open our hearts. Open our eyes. Help us to be really honest with the questions and the doubts and the fears that we have as we come today. Really honest about the the times we've been hurt and disillusioned by church. But Holy Spirit, come and help us to see what Philip and Thomas saw that day as their eyes were opened to see who you, Jesus, who you really are. Amen. Amen. So this week, uh, Peter Linus, who is the head of Evangelical Alliance here in Northern Ireland, he tweeted, devolution is dead. Pretty strong, strong statement, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, knowing Peter, it was probably less the kind of sarcastic inevitability that the rest of Northern Ireland lingers in everyone talks about politics, and probably more provocative hope, trying to poke people with sticks and stimulate something. But he tweeted this when the House of Commons and the House of Lords were debating the Northern Ireland Act, the Northern Ireland Bill, um, that uh, some had tagged on the end of it, a change in the legislation around same-sex marriage and a change in the legislation around abortion here in Northern Ireland. And there's been a lot of discussion in the news this week about that debate and the fast-tracking of that bill and what it may or may not mean for us in this country come October. You're aware of it? I find myself um, with my non-Christian, non-church friends when we go out for dinner or we're sitting having coffee or drinks or whatever, I find myself sitting. And years ago when I met with my non-Christian friends, the church was in a position where it was a strong and dominant voice that shaped things in Northern Ireland. And, And then we transitioned and we moved to a place where people who weren't Christians, who didn't go to church, kind of looked at us who have faith and go to church, they, they looked at us kind of like the, the quirky cousin of the family. Do you know what I mean? We have some strange ideas and, and practices, but ultimately we're harmless and they, they indulge us. Do you know what I mean? But something shifted in the past just couple of years. And now we find ourselves as people of faith and as the church being viewed by the rest of society as oppressive against minorities, and even having ideas that are considered wrong and evil in the spirit of this age. Do you know what I mean? I find myself in a very different and difficult place when I sit down with my friends who don't have faith and don't go to church, and the conversation turns to such things. And the question that we're posing this morning about Jesus Christ, is he more than just a good person? Is he more than just a good man? I'm going to say it has never been more important for us to be convinced about one way or another. It's never been more important for us to be convinced about. You see, some people will say Jesus never existed, but they're in a total minority, and they're starting with that idea and that answer without looking at any evidence. But any serious scholar uh, will tell you that 2,000 years ago, there was a guy called Jesus who existed. 
any serious scholar, not just Christian ones. Alistair McGrath, uh, one of the best scholars today in the UK, says, it is certainly true that Jesus was a first century Jew who lived in Palestine in the reign of Tiberius Caesar and was executed by crucifixion by Pontius Pilate. That's true. There is documented evidence outside of the Bible to say that is historically fact. Even other religions accept that Jesus was real and believe that that a man called Jesus walked on the earth, that he was a good and moral teacher. Gandhi, who was Hindu, he said, Jesus is ideal and wonderful, but you Christians, you're not like him. I thought it was an interesting statement. So it was. But, but Gandhi believed that Jesus was a real person. In fact, Judaism teaches that Jesus was a real person. Islam teaches that Jesus was a real person. If you're Buddhist, you can still believe Jesus was a real person, a, a, a prophet, a moral teacher, an inspirational humanitarian. The question is, was he more than that? Was he just a man, or was he something more than that? Well, let's take a a moment this morning to look, first of all, at what Jesus said about himself, and then what he did, and then what others said about him. And after we do that, we'll ask the question, so what? What are the implications for us 2,000 years later? What does this mean? So what did Jesus say about himself? Well, if you go into John's gospel, what you'll see is seven times in John's gospel, Jesus describes himself using the phrase, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the living water. I am the light of the world. And more and more and more. Seven times, seven times, seven times, he says, I am. And the I am isn't just a way to start the sentence, a way to begin the, the, the story When he says, I am, he's saying something really profound that his Jewish hearers would hear. Because when you read the Bible, what you see in the Bible is this um, increasing revelation of who God is. From the start of the Bible to the end, you see God revealing more and more of himself to his people. So when we first see God in the opening story of Genesis, he's called Elohim, the God of creation, the God of gods. He is the creator God. And then you move on through the story of of God and and the Bible, and you come to Abraham, and he's described as Adonai, the Lord of Lords. And then you move on to the story of Moses, and Moses encounters God at this burning bush, and he says, what's your name? Because the other things are just titles for God that describe what he is and who he is, but they don't give us his name. And God speaks to Moses and says, Yahweh or Jehovah, depend how you translate it. And we translate that into English, and it says, I am who I am. So when Moses asks God for his personal name, he doesn't say Gareth, Gary, Dave. He says, I am who I am, Yahweh, my personal name. And so when Jesus, 1,500 years later, is standing, teaching and talking, and he says to his Jewish audience, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the living water. His hearers would have been in no doubt that this Palestinian Jewish guy was saying, I am God come amongst you. I am Yahweh, the Old Testament God, now walking in your midst. 
When Jesus said, I am, he wasn't describing, he was identifying himself as the living God. And now what we see in our text this morning in John chapter 14, when, when Philip asks him, he says, I want to see God. And Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Not less than God, not like God, not a signpost to God, not even an expression. Jesus is God. Gregory Nazarenus says, Jesus is nothing less than God in our midst, God toward us, God for us. Eugene Patterson talks about Jesus. He says, the word Jesus, the eternal word of God, became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And around the time that the Apostles' Creed was being written, there was a a debate going on at the Council of Nicaea, where we get the Nicaean Creed from, a similar creed. And the, the Christian fathers there were debating and wrestling with this question of who was Jesus. And, and they found a Greek word, that, or a, a word that worked for them, a new word, humusios. And what they were saying was that Jesus is different in personhood, but is the same essence the same being, the same nature. The word literally means substance. Jesus, who walked on earth, is the same substance as Yahweh, as you read of him in the Old Testament. Really, simply put, and I get this is heavy, I get this is confusing, but really simply put, this Palestinian Jew from Nazareth looked Philip in the eye 2,000 years ago when he said, When you look at me, you're seeing the fullest picture of God you're capable of understanding. I am God. Here's the deal, though. Anybody can say anything. Doesn't make it true. I'm with you a year now. You guys know me a little bit, don't you? Yeah? Shared some embarrassing stories from the front. You've seen me do some embarrassing things. Um, You know me a little bit. I know you a little bit. But you didn't know that I am an unbelievably good golfer. Did you know that? (laughs) See? See? You didn't. But I am a phenomenal golfer. So good, in fact, that on Thursday night, Rory McIlroy phoned me. Asked for a few pointers, turned his game, it was just too late after he, he just messed that last putt up on the 18th. Um, but you know, if he'd phoned me earlier, I might have been able to help him out, but he was too late. Um, but I'm a phenomenal golfer. I had a golf ball this morning, but I lost it in the rough down there. So I, I, I literally have lost my, it's land over there, I don't know where it is actually. Uh, there's a golf ball knocking about church somewhere, but I, I'm a phenomenal golfer. Do you believe me? Do you believe me? What would it take for me to prove to you that I'm a phenomenal golfer? I'd be at Royal Port Rush. You'd need to see me play, wouldn't you? You'd need to see me play golf before you believe the words that I'm saying that I am a good golfer. Proof's in the pudding. You'd want to see it, wouldn't you? Truth is, I play off six per hole. 
And if you don't get golf, all those jokes are lost on you. I apologize. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's the thing. Anybody can say anything. The proof's in the pudding. We want to see the demonstration of it before we believe the words about it. True? It's not enough. If you're cynical this morning, if you're a doubter, if you haven't got faith, or even if you do, it's not enough for Jesus to say, I am God. You want to see it. You want to taste it. You want to experience it. We need to look not just at what he said, but look at what he did before we're going to have faith and trust that he is who he says he is. Got your Bibles there, flick to Mark's gospel. Mark's the first gospel written, shortest gospel. It's kind of punchy. Gospel would work best on Twitter, you know, it's limited words. It's good. But turn to Mark chapter 1. Let me show you what Jesus did. Mark chapter 1, verse 32. He healed Peter's mother-in-law, and then everybody in the village who was sick came to the house, and he healed, and he healed, and he cast out sickness, and he healed, and he healed, and he healed, and he made them well. Who can do that? Can God do that? Can only God do that? Turn over to Mark chapter 2. He's teaching in a house, and they bring in a guy who's paralyzed, who's never walked, and Jesus looks at him and says, son, your sins are forgiven. Who can do that? Even the people there say, hold on, Jesus, only God can forgive sins. Only God can do that. And he says, yeah, but I am God. And by the way, get up, take your mat and walk. And this guy who came in on a mat because he couldn't walk, all of a sudden walks out of the place for the first time ever, forgiven for the first time. Who can do that? Skip over to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. You find Jesus in a boat, and a storm comes up, and everybody's terrified. And Jesus stands in the front of the boat. He says, Calm, be still. And the wind stops blowing. And the waves settle down, and it's peaceful on the lake. Who can do that? Only the one who made the creation can speak words that control the creation. Turn over to chapter 5. Jesus comes across a, a man who is possessed by demons. We don't talk about this a lot around church, do we? But we should. It's real. A man who's possessed by demons, and, and he casts the demon out of him. And for the first time, this guy encounters peace of mind and body and is able to be reconciled back into normal family life. Who has authority over evil? Who can do that? Can you do it? Can I do it? Can God do it? And then go on down the chapter to the end. And this guy called Jairus comes to him and says, my little girl is sick. And Jesus goes to her house. But by the time he gets there, she's dead. And the morning, the wake has started. And Jesus goes up to her bedroom where her body's lying and says, little girl, get up. Imagine saying those words in front of grieving parents. And she breathed. 
Who has authority over life and death? Who can raise the dead? And you turn to Mark chapter 16. The whole book of Mark is littered with this proof of things that Jesus does again and again and again to show that He isn't just a regular bloke, but He is God come amongst us. The words that He said were backed up by the actions that He lived out. And then in Mark 16, we see Him executed, crucified, for the sins of the world, and then the third day he is raised back to life. The first fruits of what God is going to do for the whole creation, for everyone who trusts in him. Everything Jesus did demonstrated the reality of the claims that he made. What did other people say about him? Peter, who spent three years with him, looked him in the eye and he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Roman centurion who was charged with overseeing Jesus' execution. And the reason this guy had this gig, had this role, was because he would have been a centurion at different campaigns. He was battle-hardened, and now he was older. This was his journey to retirement. And so this guy who has killed people and ordered people killed, and now is executing people whose moral compass is completely ski-whiff, who's emotionally dead, who oversees Jesus' execution, in the moment when Jesus dies, looks up at the heavens and says, surely this man was the Son of God. The early church, the followers of Jesus, who, who for most of them are monotheistic Jews, they believe that God is singular. There is only one God. They start each day praying a prayer called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Before Jesus as ascends into heaven, they bow down and worship him. They're only allowed to worship God. They bow down and worship him because they are so convinced that he, what? He is God come amongst us. They laid down their lives for him. They started to pray in his name. And all of a sudden, as they prayed in his name, they started to do the things that he was doing. They started to cast out demons. They started to heal the sick. They started to preach in his name and other people experienced forgiveness for shame that they were carrying for years. Do you need forgiveness this morning? Do you need healing this morning? Is there something in your life that is, that is broken that needs just to be put back together this morning? In Jesus' name, let it be so. And me, I believe he is who he says he is. Because of the words that he said, because of the things that he did, but more than that, because I know him. I've experienced his love. I've experienced his forgiveness. When I sit quietly on my own and pray, I hear his voice. I've seen him answer prayers in the most simple way and the most miraculous way. 
He is who he says he is. What I want to say to you this morning is look at the evidence. If he is not God, if he's just a good person, if he's not God, then all of this is nice, but it's pointless. That's the truth. You might as well be on the golf course. But if he is God, if he is God, come amongst us to reveal himself to us. If he is God, come to love us even when we feel unlovable. If he is God, come to forgive us and take the brokenness and the shame out of our lives and put us back together to heal us, to save us. Then there's implications for more than just the people gathered here. There's implications for people out there as well. If he is who he says he is, there's implications for scared pregnant mothers who don't know whether they want to go ahead with their pregnancy and for unborn children in their mother's wombs because Jesus is Elohim, the God of creation, the God that knits us together in our mother's womb, the God who we praise because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And if you're, you're straight or if you're gay or if you're transsexual or if you're questioning, if you're in a relationship or longing for a relationship, he is Jehovah Jireh, the God who gives life in all its fullness more than you will ever find in any other person. He is the one who completes you. If you're racked with shame, because of what has been done to you or spoken over you or the thing you keep doing again and again and again. He is Jehovah Makodesh, the God who sanctifies, the God who makes whole, the God who makes holy. Do you need to be made whole this morning? If you're carrying sickness in your body in any way, He is Jehovah Rapha, the healer. If you're struggling with your mental health, He is Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. For the broken, for the least, for the lost, for the lonely, for those who want to know and those who don't want to know and those who need to know and those who are sick hearing about it. He is still Yeshua, Jesus, the God who saves. And the words he spoke to his disciples, he speaks to you, he speaks to me, and he speaks to Belfast, and he speaks to our world, and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And don't hear that as, a, as an exclusion to keep people out. Hear it as an invitation into life like you have never experienced it before. And all you have to do is turn to him. All you have to do is turn to him. In a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond to who Jesus is and to an invitation to know him. But for those of you who do know him, and we bring this into land with this, for those of you who do know him, how do you communicate this? This is the most important question. This is what makes all of this relevant. 
How do you communicate this to your family, to your friends, to your colleagues who want to know, who don't want to know, who are sick of hearing about it? How do you communicate this? How do you do it in a way that they don't just listen, but they fall in love with? That they don't just converse about, but convert to? That they don't just engage with, but embrace and encounter Jesus as you know Him to be? Let me just share three ways. First of all, you can share His story. That's what the creed's about. It gives you a framework to articulate what you believe. You can share his story. Or you can do it like I've done it this morning. This is what Jesus said he was, who he said he was. And this is what he did to back it up. And then he went to the cross and he died for you and for me and he rose again. You can tell his story. His story is powerful. His story can change lives in a way that we don't fully always appreciate and understand. But for some of you, that's difficult. It's difficult to find the words, isn't it, sometimes? And some of you have family members who are just sick of hearing about it, who every time you mention church or Jesus, they roll their eyes and switch off. Some of you work in places where you you just can't talk about faith. You're just not allowed to talk about church or Jesus, you're not. You get in trouble for it. If you can't share his story, it's okay to share your story. Because remember, When you're a Christian, the Spirit of Jesus lives in you. He invites you into His story. Your story and His story fuse together. And so I encourage you to live with generosity. Live with love. Live with hope. So that when somebody in your office turns to you and says, why are you not bitter about the troubles? You can say, well, I know what it is to be forgiven. Why do you not gossip like everybody else does? You can say, well, because I believe that person is loved by God, and me talking about them isn't loving them the way He loves them. What did you do at the weekend when the rest of us were out partying, getting drunk, spending, whatever? I I was doing street reach. I was knocking doors and cutting grass for people in our community who can't do it for themselves because we believe that God loves them. You're not preaching, you're just living with integrity and sharing your story in conversation because your story is interfused with his story. But best of all, you can do what Jesus did and you can become incarnational and you can step into their story. You don't even have to talk about Jesus, you just have to love people well, serve people well. What does it look like to commit to praying for that person you sit beside in work every day? Not praying with them, just taking a moment every day to pray for them. When you drive to work and you park your car saying, God, just bless Johnny today or whoever. What does it look like to pray for them? What does it look like to love them well? What does it look like to practice hospitality with them, to invite them around to your house for a meal, over coffee, not just to do small talk, but to look them in the eye and to communicate love and attention? And not the thing we do in Northern Ireland where you look someone in the eye and as you're talking, you're kind of looking over their shoulder to see who is more interested in the room to talk to. You know the thing we do? We're really bad at that in Orangefield. Don't do that over coffee. Look the person in the eye. 
Let them know that you, they have your attention. They are the most important person in the room in that moment. Love them well. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you words of knowledge, insight into their life so you know how to pray for them, how to bless them. And then just wait for them to ask. Wait for the God moment to open up and then have the courage to step into it. Step into their story and bless them the way Jesus did. Because here's the thing. Doesn't the band come back up? We're going to finish with this. Here's the thing. Jesus is who he says he is. He is the son of the living God. He has come to love and to forgive and to set free, to heal and to save. And he has come to meet with you this morning. No matter where you are in your journey of faith, Maybe you haven't started. Maybe you've parked it as a distant memory. Maybe you've just slipped back and this morning's the time you want to go, do you know what? I need to get right with God again. Jesus is here to meet with you. But he's also here for your family, for your friends, for your colleagues, for folk out there as well who don't want to know. He's here for this city. He's here for, for this nation he hasn't given up on us. He hasn't finished what he's doing. There is more to come. He is going to do more. And just because at the moment it feels like a moment of trying to, to hold on, there's another moment coming as well of blessing and of transformation. God is not finished with us yet. Why don't you stand with me as we pray? Let's be still for a moment. There's been a lot of words this morning. Holy Spirit, come. There are hearts this morning that are like like the sand on the beach, like parched ground. They're so dry. And what Jesus wants to do is just pour water on your heart to bring it to life. And like you water flowers and they blossom and flourish, as you turn to him, he wants to pour himself into you so you can blossom and flourish. I want to give some of you the opportunity to respond to this this morning. If you've never given your yes to Jesus, if you've never become a Christian, if you're not sure you're a Christian, if, if you have been in the past and you've kind of checked out of it all, it's, it's felt a bit irrelevant, a bit... You've just moved away. And yet this morning you have experienced something of God and you thought this is real. Jesus is real. And you want to get back with him. You want to get right with him. 
I want to invite you to pray with me now. And the prayer is simply to ask Jesus to come into your life, to refresh you, to forgive you, to save you. You don't need to know all the answers. Jesus, thank you that that you are fully man and fully God. Thank you that you, you came amongst us, you walked amongst us, you lived a perfect life, and you died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. Pray with me now if you want to make this prayer your own. Jesus, I believe in you. I turn to you. Forgive me. Fill me. Make me whole. Make me your child both now and forevermore. We're going to to sing a song that's really a prayer, a declaration of faith. You're the God of this city. This prayer ministry is going to be happening. I'm going to invite the guys to come up as the song starts. This prayer ministry is going to be happening through this song and at the end of the song. Um, And and we'd love you just to, if you want to respond, to come and have someone pray with you. If you rededicated your life this morning to Jesus, if you became a Christian, or you simply want to talk to somebody, come and these guys would love to help you. Not threatening, not scary, really simple. But if you want to encounter Jesus, the healer this morning, Jesus, the peace of God, Jesus, the giver of life, if you want prayer for anything this morning, come and respond. Don't leave this place. He's not finished with you yet.